if we're being real, we got a bunch of great topics for you today, and I want you to start us off here. Let's get into it. I'll tell you, I really enjoyed the World Baseball Classic. My highlight was for sure the last inning of the final game, the championship game, when Otani was on the mound, Trout was batting, two outs, one run game. It was awesome. It was captain versus captain, teammate versus teammate, Japan versus the USA. Otani's performance was outstanding. The fact that Trout throughout his entire career has only had three swinging strikeouts, 24 out of 6,174 at-bats, and Otani gave him another. I know you all know Mad Dog Russo. He had a terrible take on this. He said that it was absolutely terrible at-bat. He said that Trout is completely overrated and sucks, and it was just terrible. I found it incredibly entertaining. What do you think? I do got to say one thing. First take is the take of hypocrisy. Hot take! Look, I like first take. It's entertaining sometimes, but you hear people all the time saying one thing and then they go somewhere else and say another. They're just saying something on first take just to start an argument and have viewership. The whole thing with first take is to have arguments. So if Stephen A. Smith was the one saying that it was a great showing, the other guy on the show that day has to argue with it. That's how it works on first take. I freaking disagree. No, I'm just kidding. It's not first take. So... Honestly, I don't know if Mad Dog Russo actually believes that, but I mean, he could. Everybody knows that he kind of goes crazy on some takes now and then. So he honestly could believe that. Me personally, I thought it was amazing. Without a doubt, it was the most entertaining baseball to watch in the last bare minimum 10 years. I know you're not a huge baseball guy anyways, but to me being a massive baseball fan, I thought it was absolutely incredible. And I agree with you. It was better than playoff baseball, which leads me into my next point. With the World Baseball Classic being so entertaining, how do you think MLB, and other sports for that matter, can even get a fraction of that entertainment back into their playoff system? We talked about this a little bit on Hot Takes, but I want to go a little bit more in-depth with it and get your opinion on how you think they can do this. Baseball, for instance, is trying to add a pitch clock to make it more entertaining. I definitely don't think that's the way to bring out the excitement of the World Baseball Classic. What are your thoughts? So, honestly, the only way you can get anywhere near that much entertainment is by getting rivalry back into sports. And how do you do that? That's a more difficult conversation to have. Me personally, I think players are getting way too much power in all sports. And with that power, they're using it to be able to go to teams at will, force their teams to pay them tons of money, and therefore they don't care as much and the teams don't get as bonded to each other. They don't have the rivalry with other teams because those teams aren't the same year to year. It's just an issue. I think players are getting way too much power, and I think that is the main issue of why playoff sports and all sports are nowhere near as entertaining as the World Baseball Classic. I think you said it best that rivalries have to come back in sports. If you look at the old days of the heyday of Red Sox-Yankees, that is amazing rivalry and great playoff baseball, great sports. You look at the Celtics-Lakers days, that is phenomenal basketball, tons of excitement, tons of rivalry, and bitter hate for one another. And that's what you need in sports. And the biggest thing we've had recently with that much rivalry between teams is the stinking Bengals and the Steelers because they were both playing dirty. I'd love to see more rivalries. It's an interesting take that you have that players are the reason that these rivalries are going away because now it's player versus player versus team versus team. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not only the players' fault. I think that the owners 
They're making so much money, they're willing to give players more than they probably ever anticipated because they're getting so much money. And so during the player negotiations with the owners, the players got a lot more power and a lot more money. But that is leading, in my opinion, to sports not having rivalries, to players not caring anywhere near as much as they used to, and that is an issue. Well, sticking on this topic of money, let's dive into Otani's performance in the World Baseball Classic and what we think that means for his future MLB career. As you all know, he did phenomenal in the World Baseball Classic, and he's been doing phenomenal in MLB. He is MLB's top-ranked player right now. With MLB throwing around so much money, I mean, if you look at recent contracts, so there are 300-plus million-dollar contracts. We have Stanton, Machado, Seager, Lindor, Harper, Trey Turner, Mookie Betts, Devers, Tatis Jr., and Trout tops the list, signing a 12-year, $426.5 million deal with the Angels. Do you think that Otani can be the first $500 million man? Sorry, those numbers are absolutely disgusting. I hate that players are getting that much money. Can you imagine one of those players trying to have a normal job and living a normal life like most of the rest of us out there? Man, those players are making so much money and they don't give a crap about the teams. They don't give a crap about their fans. They just like, I want more money. Give me more money. It's honestly disgusting how much money players are making nowadays. Whoo, is it Tuesday? Because it's getting hot in here. <laughs> yeah, you caught me on the wrong day for recording this. I've been watching a lot of ESPN, hearing a lot about players holding out for crap tons of money. Ugh. With all that being said, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I do think players are making too much money, but that doesn't change the fact that I think Otani might be the first $500 million man. Considering he's both a pitcher, both an amazing hitter, there is a team out there, whether it be the Yankees, whether it be the Dodgers, whether it be some other, a little bit smaller market team that wants to go out and chase him and pay a bunch of money, I think somebody's going to end up filling his pockets up a little bit too much, and he's just not going to be able to say no. Unfortunately, I 100% agree with you. Now, I want the best for Otani. I just personally think players in all sports especially the NBA, the top guys in the NFL, and the MLB are making way, way too much money. But I hope only the best for Otani. He probably will be the first $500 million man. With that being said, I think the Angels are under a ton of pressure. If they lose Otani, it will make their failures in the past bunch of years and their failures with Trout in general come to light and it's probably one of the worst performing franchises in all sports. <laughs> I will tell you, it will be terrible if they end up losing Otani and the time that they had Otani and Trout, they couldn't even make the playoffs. That is absolutely insane. And they'll be stuck with Trout, albeit a great ball player, but nobody around him, no pieces to win, and their future will be very, very dark. Yep, exactly. Watch out, Angels. You're in a very dangerous territory. Let's move into some baseball rules real quick. So... The Pitchcom devices that we've talked about on here before that are helping communicate which pitch is going to be thrown between the pitcher and the catcher, they've been malfunctioning lately. They're now even allowing the umpire to stop the pitch clock if the Pitchcom device is malfunctioning so that it allows the pitcher and catcher more time to get on the same page. I thought they were trying to speed up games in the spirit of saving time. I feel like they 100% should not stop the pitch clock at that time they should have to rely on old signals in order to know which pitch is coming, and you can only work on fixing the malfunction between innings. 100% agree. We talked about the pitch comm a while ago, 
And I brought up the concern of it being hacked by the other team and them getting the signals and stuff like that. This is just something else. This is a technology not working. How many times in your life has technology not worked? Hmm, let me guess. I bet you at least one time this week. So yeah, you're going to have issues with it. No, you shouldn't be stopping the pitch clock just because your pitch comm device isn't working. Deal with it. You are pretty heated today, but I agree. I mean, it's really frustrating watching a game and seeing the tech guy run out to the mound to start working on the pitch comm device. It's ridiculous. I mean, go back to old signals, make them have signals so that if the pitch comm device stops working, that they're forced to do something, even if they're at a deficit, so that they can get out of the inning, go back to the dugout, work on it then, move on. All right, I got a rule that's annoying me too. What about them enlarging the bases? What the heck is going on with that? Don't even get me started about this. This is another rule that drives me crazy too. Literally, the bigger bases are making everything four and a half inches closer. With 90 feet between the bases, I know that doesn't sound like a huge difference, but imagine how many close plays would have been changed by just a few inches. There are so many plays in the history of baseball that would have been changed based on an extra four inches. Now it's leading to more runners being safe, and in the history of baseball, they would have been out previously and are now safe. That's completely changing statistics now. They're making this change, first of all, because they think it's going to make players safer. The other reason that they're doing this is to make there be more action because they want people to actually steal more bases. Well, now you just change the statistics of baseball and how many bases people are supposed to steal every year. Now the 30-30 club is not so impressive anymore. I mean, it's not just baseball. Think about football. They call it the game of inches. If you add an additional four inches to the end zone line, there's going to be more touchdowns than there were previously. And I'd say on the scale of things, it's less important in football adding that. What next are we going to change that's going to change the history of statistics? In basketball, are we going to move the three-point line back because they're doing so good now? Are we going to move the pitcher back because they're throwing harder? Now all of a sudden they're going to be pitching from 65 feet? Like, where does the line stop? Yeah, there's not much else to say about it. It's just, I don't know why they're doing it. More players are going to be safe. They're changing statistics. I guess sports are doing that as we go along. Things are changing, obviously, as we go along in the history of sports, but... This seems like an unnecessary change. I genuinely don't think that the larger bases are going to impact the amount of injuries there are with the players running the bases. So I don't know why they implemented this rule. More base running injuries occur on purpose from malicious players than it does from accidents. And the bigger base is not going to stop sliding injuries or a player taking out the other player because one's on purpose, one's a complete accident that has nothing to do with the base size. I mean, do we really think the slightly enlarged base is going to stop Machado from injuring people? Dirty players will always remain dirty. Adding an extra four and a half inches on each side is not going to do anything. With March Madness coming to an end, I have an interesting take for you, and I want to hear your opinion. What percentage of NBA players do you think could lead an NCAA team to the Sweet 16? All right, I got a question for you. We're saying, like, saying only one player from the NBA is going. It's not like all the NBA players are going to different teams, right? Yeah. So, for instance, you take LeBron, you put him on an NCAA team. Can he lead his team to the Sweet 16? Not even win the championship. Just take them to the Sweet 16. Everybody else remains college players. For me, that's an interesting question. I think the NBA players that have been in the league a while will have a better chance of being able to do that. With that being said, I'll probably go 
probably the top 5% of the NBA could. That's an interesting take. That's way lower than I thought. I was going to err on the side of like 50 plus, honestly. The reason for me saying that is because, A, they only have to win a couple of games to get to the Sweet 16. We're not talking about them winning a championship. While I do agree with you that a lot of these players don't have the experience to lead a team in the NBA, you got to remember how big the talent gap is between college and pros. I think a lot of even the scrub NBA players become elite college athletes. But you also have to think they were all in college basketball at one point, and a lot of them haven't improved a whole lot from college to the NBA. And a lot of the NBA players don't necessarily have super good March Madness tournaments while they're in college. Do you think players' ability to play under pressure also accounts for this? Not necessarily. I mean, you also have to remember it's just one guy, right? So only the best of the best is going to be able to will their team to get super far into the playoffs. You can be really good. That doesn't mean you're good enough to carry a team of four potential scrubs that would not have a chance of making it to the NBA to get them to the Sweet 16. Yeah, for sure is a team sport. I mean, you can put one superstar on the team, and if they're not going to be that guy that you're giving the ball to and you're dominating, your team's not going to do very good. And it does make me question what NBA players who aren't super dominant could drop down to college and be incredibly dominant. While I do think they could put up an easy 30, say, I don't know if they would actually be able to carry a team to the Sweet 16. Interesting take. I like it. Yeah, I mean, think about it. I think the players that really would be able to do that are the Giannis's, the Curry, the LeBrons, the best of the best. Those guys will be able to do it just because they're, A, so dominant in the NBA anyway, but B, in a team where the other guys may not be that good, you would need somebody that dominant to be able to beat out another team. The other team could be one of the best teams in the country. None of them may be going to the NBA, but they could be one of the best teams in the country in college, and therefore you have to be able to most likely beat them one-on-four, one-on-five, something like that, depending on how many good players are on your team. I'll tell you, I want to see it now. I'm ready. Send them back down to college. If we're being real, I personally think Giannis would obliterate the college level. That's not really fair. He obliterates in the NBA too, and he wouldn't even need four teammates. Now that we're actually really talking about it, I think it might be less than 5% even. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, if you think about it, I think Giannis could go back, again, barring injury, Giannis could go back to the college ball and absolutely obliterate the college players. But say somebody like Luka, he is an amazing basketball player, but I don't necessarily think that he would go back to the college ball and be super dominant and be able to be a one-man show and get his team to the Sweet 16. It'd for sure be interesting to watch, and I would probably bet on him getting them to the Sweet 16 before I bet him not. But I 100% see your point that like he's not going to be as dominant as you would think he would be. Because again, like Giannis is going to be able to do it offensively and defensively. Some of these other guys won't be able to affect the game too, too much defensively, and therefore that's where they'll come into issues. Man, hanging on Luka for a second, did you hear he got his 16th technical foul this year and they suspended him for a game? It was a really weak foul, but almost immediately after the game, the NBA rescinded the tech. What is your opinion on the NBA rescinding techs? Well, in this case, if I was a Mavs, I'd actually be upset about it because now if they do end up getting into the play-in tournament, which I know is not a certainty, he's at risk for potentially not being able to play in that game because they rescinded the previous tech he got. With that being said, it is kind of weird that they can go and do that or back in the Warriors-Cavs final a bunch of years ago where they actually 
gave Draymond green and technical so that he couldn't play one of the games in the finals. I think it's weird that they can do that. Yeah, I really hate the aspect of they can just go back and change whatever they want. I feel like it should stick with whatever's in the game, whether it be bad call, whether it be a good call, it doesn't really matter. It's what the ref says. And if there's a problem with that, I feel like it should be taken up with a ref and not changed after the fact. And we all know that the star players get already preferential treatment from the refs, but I 1000% guarantee you if this was somebody that wasn't the star quality of Luka doing this on a different team, they would 100% not have rescinded the technical foul and they would have been having to serve that one game suspension. I heard a really interesting take the other day. Craig Carton on Fox Sports had very strong opinions about Kyrie. He said that this 100% would be his last season in the NBA and that no team would want him and he will never play after the 2023 season. What do you think about that? I honestly don't even want to give that much time to this. That's an absolute joke. 100% the Mavericks are going to want to keep Kyrie. So there you go. That's already one team that wants to do it. Again, you also have the freaking Lakers who were trying to get him in the first place with LeBron James. LeBron James, 1,000, 1 billion percent wants Kyrie Irving. He's going to be in the league next year. Let's relax. I honestly just think this dude doesn't like Kyrie Irving and what he stands for. Whether you think Kyrie Irving stands for things that are right or wrong, it doesn't really matter. This dude, I think, is just going after Kyrie because he doesn't like what he stands for and not actually taking into consideration the true facts of the NBA. Well said. I don't really have to add much to that. I mean, I could name probably 10 teams off the top of my head that would 100% be fighting for him if the Mavs didn't pick him. But 100%, the Lakers would be at the top of that list with LeBron. Exactly. Kyrie Irving is one of the most talented players in the NBA right now. With that being said, he is 100% going to be on a team next year. Nothing else has to be said about this. That's all we're talking about for today. Remember to like, subscribe, comment down below what you think. Can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, keep it real.